You may turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're looking at the eternal light. John chapter 1. Last week we looked at the eternal word. Today we look at the eternal light. If you need a Bible, please look in front of you and grab that pew Bible if it is there or maybe the one down from you. Grab that and turn to page 886 and there you will be in John chapter 1. We want you to take that Bible as a gift if you do not own a Bible and that you would use it, that you would read it and learn more of the eternal light of what you hear of today. Right after Christmas, I took one of the gifts that my boys received from their grandparents, a zip line, and went to the backyard and picked out two trees about 70 feet apart from each other. And I thought, this is perfect. I got a big ladder, put it up against one tree. I said, I'm going to put this zip line together, although the instructions call for two people. I figured I could do it all myself. And so I took the first part of the wire of the zip line and I put it around the tree and I attached the buckle, the turnbuckle. And then I went to the other end and I began to uh, stretch out the wire from one side to the next. And I brought it tight around the tree and I wrapped it around probably about 10 times. And I had it set. It was perfect. I went back up the ladder. I'd called my wife out there to see this glorious work that I had done. And I began to turn the buckle. And as I was turning it, I did not realize that as I'm talking to her and boasting of all the great things that I am accomplishing, that the buckle breaks at the end. Uh, the screw comes loose, actually. And the zip line uh, whiplashes across the yard. And in that moment, I did not think lofty thoughts. In fact, I wanted to say things to express my frustration. But immediately I thought, you know what? Instead of going through this whole hour process, shouldn't have been an hour, but because I chose to make it a one-man project, it was, I tried to take the two ends and pull them together with my supernatural strength. And as I'm pulling, I'm becoming more frustrated and I was already hot and, and sweaty, which I don't mind. But in this moment, I was uh, continuing to grow uh, warm, sweaty. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, if I can just make these two ends meet, I will not have to go through the hour long process of putting this thing back together. And I asked my wife, I said, grab a hold of that line. Help me pull. And I'm, and I'm pulling and I'm becoming frustrated and finally... In the most mature effort, I take the wire and I throw it down on the ground. I said, that's it. I think I'm done with this thing. But what I had to do is climb down from the ladder, go down to the end, unwrap and begin all over again. But I thought if I could just somehow pull that massive oak tree a little towards me, <laughs> I could make these two ends meet. And what we see today in John 1, 1 through 18, is a, a gap between God and man. God being the light and man being in darkness and, and in between this gap, and it's not even close, guys. In between this gap is a, a massive chasm of sin and darkness. And all of us at one point, and maybe you are today, you are trying your best to, to merge the two. If I could just get these two sides to come together, then everything would be complete. 
What it takes is us dying to ourselves and trusting in the light and no longer living in the darkness. And that's the challenge for us. But we must look to the eternal light. I said last week we looked at the eternal word. This week we look at the eternal light. This is an introduction. This is a prologue. So we're learning a lot about the word. We're learning a lot about the light in these first 18 verses. And so in this introduction of John, we're going to notice five observations today. The first one is this, the truth about the light. Look with me in verse four and five. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So verse four introduces the theme of life, which appears some 35 times in the gospel of John. The life was the light of men. So not only are we just talking about a physical light, we are talking about life in Christ Jesus is the eternal light that we all desperately need. Life in Christ springs forth light into man. You were not born with this light from your physical parents. You did not earn this physical light. There's nothing you can do to cross the great chasm of darkness to get over to the light. In fact, darkness mentioned here, if you were wondering, the Greek word for darkness here means darkness. Darkness. Pitch black. Scotia. It is a picture for us of no street lights, no high-powered military flashlights. All oh, those, those are pretty cool. But no, pitch blackness, complete and utter darkness. As we talked about around Christmas time, the shepherds were keeping watch over their sheep at night. It was dark 30, and in a moment, light comes bursting forth to bring good news to the Savior, of the Savior. The light of the world has come to bring eternal life to his creation. That's why Jesus came, a creation that has been wandering in the darkness. Everyone with me say darkness, darkness. We wander around in the darkness when we are separated from Christ. And beginning in verse 5, we are introduced to a distinct contrast between light and darkness. And this contrast is seen throughout the Gospel of John. Let me just give you a list. We're going to get to uh, these verses as we go through the study of John, but let me just give you a list here of where we see the contrast of light and darkness, where light is mentioned at times and where darkness is mentioned. John 3, 19 through 21. We see that the light has come into the world. And here's the response of the world when the light, the eternal light, comes into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light. They, they love darkness. We love darkness rather than the glorious light of Jesus Christ. Why? Well, the evidence is that their works were evil. People who do wicked things hate the light. They don't come to the light because they don't want their evil works to be exposed. Maybe just a few minutes ago when I mentioned that there's a men's conference and the title is Unspoken, you may have said in your mind, man, you said, uh-uh, 
I'm not going, no way am I going to be exposed. No way will I enter a conference where they speak of things that should not be spoken of. I want to hide back in the darkness. This is where I'm comfortable. This is what I was born to do, to be in darkness. You may believe that, but that does not have to be your life. But for those who do what is true, they come to the light. It is clear evidence that their works have been carried out in God. I love that. If you come to the light, here's the evidence that your good works have been carried out in God. It is all God, all glory to God, all boasting goes to God. The ones who walk in the light boast of God. The ones who walk in darkness boast of themselves. John 5, 35 speaks of John the Baptist as a burning and shining lamp. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, John 9, 5, Jesus speaks of being the light of the world. And John 11, 9 through 10, he reminds his followers, he says, you walk in the day, you do not stumble because you see the light of this world. But you walk in the night, you stumble because the light is not in you. And that makes perfect sense. When you're walking around at night with no street lights, with no lamps, you will stumble over things that you cannot see. But what he's really speaking of is walking in the darkness of sin and stumbling over many idols, many wretched things that are opposed to God. John 12, 35 through 36. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus is telling his followers, believe in the light. Do you believe in the light today? And then John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So there's a reminder for us that we remain in darkness if we reject the light. But we also see the significance of the contrast of light and darkness among the narratives found in the book of John. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. That has great significance for the overarching story of Nicodemus and how he would be redeemed by Christ in the future. But in order, can I just go ahead and give it away? I love this. He, he comes to Jesus at night, but then you see him at the cross associating himself with Jesus in the light. It's a beautiful picture. I don't know, that just got me excited. Now, John 13, 30, we see Judas. As he goes to betray Jesus. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night, the darkest of night, the great betrayal. And yet we understand this night. We understand this darkness. We understand the guilt. We understand the sorrow. We question ourselves. We wonder why would we ever do such things against God? Just like Judas, we betray the name of Jesus as we want to exalt not his name, but our own name. And so we will see the contrast between light and darkness all throughout the book of John. So looking at our first observation, the truth about the light is that the darkness has not overcome it. This is good news. 
The darkness has not overcome it, has not overcome the light, either by comprehending it, meaning grasping with the mind, or by overcoming it, grasping with the hand. You cannot overcome darkness by being intelligent. You cannot overcome darkness by just willing yourself to trust in the Lord. No, you cannot overcome darkness in and of yourself. Only light can overcome darkness, which means the grace of God must precede any active obedience in your life. But not only that, there's no overcoming it. There's no putting away the light. You say, what about persecution? Isn't that kind of putting away light? Isn't that overcoming light? Well, it's been said that the blood of martyrs acts as the seed of the gospel to go forth. You kill one Christian, another Christian will be made by a faithful witness. You cannot kill the light. You cannot snuff it out. It is eternal. So the truth about the light is that the darkness has not overcome it. The second thing is the witness to the light. Verse six through eight, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So I want us to take notice of the witness, this being John the Baptist, the last true prophet-like figure we see in the Bible before the true prophet, priest, and king, Jesus comes into the picture. And like John, we also, as Christ's followers, are witnesses to the light of Christ. So I want you to be encouraged by this, Christians. If you'll take note of this, we'll see the similarities between us and John the Baptist, what he's called to do and what we are now called to do. The Christian, number one, the Christian is sent from God. We do not go out in our own strength, but as we are sent out, we are sent from God. The power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, sending us out to go make disciples. Number two, the Christian is to be a witness and testify about the light. Witnesses are called to testify to what they know. Don't get up on the stand and just begin to speak things you don't know. In fact, you are encouraged highly that don't say anything unless you know it to be the truth. Witnesses are called to testify to what they know. And this is encouragement for us because you say, well, I don't know a lot. Well, testify what you do know about Christ. And please don't go make stuff up. That will always get you in trouble. Don't try to impress the people around you. Just speak what you know. And the role of a witness is to testify of the truth. That's what John the Baptist came to do. He spoke of what he knew, and he testified to the truth. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. Our goal, preach Christ crucified. Preach the truth. Testify to the truth. Testify about the light. Number three, the goal of the Christian is that all who hear might receive the light. That is our goal. That's why we share the gospel. We want people to receive Christ. We want people to have the light to overshadow or overcome the darkness within them. That the light will invade the darkness of the unbeliever's heart and they will then see Christ. Number four, The Christian is never to be mistaken for the light. John the Baptist was very clear that he was not the light. We have to be very clear that we are not the light. 
We're not the light of the world, although we're called to go be the light of the world through Christ. We're not the eternal light. There's only one. And John was very clear that he was not the one, but that it was the Christ to come. But for John the Baptist, what type of light was he? John 5, 35 and 36, Jesus speaks to John the Baptist or speaks of John the Baptist. He says, he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Me, I have a much greater testimony is what Jesus is saying. I have a much greater light than the lamp of John. John's lamp has no inherent light of its own. It has to be supplied, meaning that God has to supply that light for John. The lamp has to be carried by another. And the lamp soon burns out. It will one day cease to shine, just like us. One day we will cease to shine. We will no longer walk on this earth. We will no longer represent Christ on this present earth. The light will be no more. Are you aware of this, Christian? And are you willing to shine as a lamp of Jesus Christ for as long as you are here? But this is not so with the eternal light. He is the light. That light does not have to be provided and placed within him. He already is the light. And he's not carried by another, but he carries us and he will never cease to shine. In fact, when we read of eternity in the new heaven and the new earth, we'll have no need of a physical sun because the glorious light of Jesus Christ will be the sun. What a beautiful picture that we have for all of eternity. And number five, the Christian is humble to bear testimony about the light. Now, if you're following along, you go, where do you get that? Where was John the Baptist humbled that he could carry the light. Well, it was said twice that he came to bear witness about the light. Two times. I believe he was overwhelmed and overjoyed that he could come and give witness about the light to come. He was humbled to bear testimony about the light. What are things that make you go, wow? What are things that, that humble you? Is it a brilliant sunrise or a watercolored sky at sunset? a live symphony, or a magnificent play. The brute strength of a world champion weightlifter. Or the moment you see your bride in her wedding dress. Or ladies, when you see your man outside cutting the grass. Mm-hmm. Maybe that last one, we just think you're wild by it. I don't know. But there are things in life they make us go, wow, we can't speak. We're overwhelmed. We're, we're blessed to go forth and celebrate these things that make us go, wow. For John the Baptist, it was Jesus. And he was humbled that he himself could receive the light, but that he could testify about the light. I think we need to hear that today because all too often when we think about sharing the light with others, we are overwhelmed with fear instead of humility, with humbleness that we have been called to go forth and share the light. Matthew three fourteen, John would have prevented him. This is Jesus being baptized. John would have prevented him saying, I need you to baptize, or I need to be baptized by you 
And do you come to me? Do you come to me to be baptized, Jesus? No, it needs to be reversed. You baptize me. Are you humbled? Are you wowed by Christ that you would call upon the Lord and say, wow, you would use me? You would use me to go and share the name of Jesus with others? These are five things that we see that we have in common with the witness to the light. The next thing we see is the impact of the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The impact of the light, the true light, gives light to everyone. And we see this in two ways. One, through his salvific grace, the act of regeneration. When man is in his darkness, when man is in his sin, when man has no ability whatsoever to call upon God, trust in God, want to follow God, love God, worship God, he's opposed to God. He's hostile to God. He's against God. And in that position, the salvific grace, the light of Jesus Christ comes forth and shines into his heart and reveals to him his sin and his great need for a savior so that then when that brother or sister repents to follow Christ, they will boast all the more in the light. This light wakes up the unbeliever to bring them to belief, to reveal to them their great need for a savior. This is salvific grace. Without this grace, none of us in this room could boast of salvation because we were in darkness before the light came forth. His great salvific grace. But it says his light shines upon everyone. So what does that mean? Does that mean everyone receives this salvific grace, that everyone's saved, that we don't have to worry about anyone going and being judged and thrown into the eternal lake of fire? That is not what this means. But there's also his common grace where God's goodness is upon his whole creation. There are many good things that God allows over his creation, and yet we are so nitpicky to point out the single day, the single moment when something didn't go as we desired, and we look to God and go, how could you, while refusing to look at all the moments of his common grace upon our lives where he blessed us. Christ stood before them, the light of the world, but many rejected him. So this light was shining upon all the people as he walked on the earth. But people saw Christ and they rejected him, their maker. But he shows this common grace to us by creating us and allowing us to live on this earth. This is indeed a blessing, although you may have felt this week or in a season of your life that that's not such a blessing to you. Maybe you're wrestling with a heavy thought of why am I even on this earth? And is it worth me being here? The answer to that is yes, it is. Find your hope in Christ Jesus. But you've been given the common grace by God that you could be here and that you could soak up the sun and that you could breathe in the air. All of these things in which he has created, miracles in which Jesus did on the scene were an act of common grace. He fed over 5,000 people. He did that multiple times. And that was an act of common grace. What we live in today in in an age of advancement in technology I must say it is a blessing in in many ways that you receive the type of medicine that you can receive today and and health uh, treatments that you can receive today are an act of God's common grace. In fact, many times if going to the hospital or, or sitting with someone who is ill, 
the prayer goes something like this, Father, thank you for your healing and thank you for the many ways in which you have advanced your creation that we can receive this medicine and we're thankful for it. We ask that you do the healing. We're grateful for all that you provide us for. Thank you for these doctors. Thank you for these nurses, these technicians. Thank you for these that are so advanced, further advanced than it seems they've ever been before. God, thank you for your common grace in providing that. See, God provides his common grace in many areas that we don't even see and recognize, but yet his light shines upon everyone. But just because his light shines upon everyone does not mean that everyone receives the light, which means there's a rejection of the light, number four. The rejection of the light. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So the light came into the darkness. The world that he made, this is the fourth time that we see this word made in the prologue, that he made. The world being the created order that is now in rebellion against this maker. And yet due to the darkness of their minds and hearts, the world did not recognize him. They did not know him. His own people did not receive him. Now, I've, I've not recognized people before. It always makes you wonder, have you been in an airport or have you been walking around town and someone famous walked right by you and you never knew it? I'd be that guy. I mean, you may be able to pick them out and, and confidently go up to them and say, hey, would you take a picture? I would be the guy taking a picture with the wrong person. I just don't, I don't, I don't pick up on these. I, I walk past people, don't recognize them. And if they're famous, I've missed it. I just don't have that story where I can say, hey, I met this famous person, this pa-, although I did meet Carrot Top, the comedian one time. That was pretty cool. You can recognize him because his orange hair, but there are things that we don't recognize on this earth. And the most devastating miss in our life is that we miss Christ. His own people did not receive him. Just how dark is our spiritual blindness? Just how dark? Because maybe we think, I'm, I'm, I'm not great, but I'm not terrible. I mean, I'm not necessarily good, but I'm not necessarily bad either. Do you really understand just how dark your spiritual blindness is? The sin within you. How dark is our spiritual blindness? We would think that his own people would recognize him after all of the prophecies foretold about him in the Old Testament. Whether this is speaking specifically of the Jews or if it's speaking to all of those who would be redeemed and didn't recognize him in the beginning, I, I lean on the first. These people that were called and set aside in the Old Testament, a nation of people that he was going to deliver to a physical place, that being Canaan, when Jesus comes on the earth, they don't recognize him. But this shouldn't be a surprise to us. Because in the Old Testament, we read passages like this, Isaiah 65, 2 and 3. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually. Does this show a power, powerless God, a weak God? an insufficient God who can't save? No. This shows us that when God provides his grace upon the people, they reject him. 
They don't want to recognize him as light. If it's left up to man, they didn't want to recognize him as light. Jeremiah 7, 25 and 26. From the day that our fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets to them, day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. There's a stiffened neck. And they rejected the Lord to his face and they rejected Christ to his face. And even when people rubbed shoulders with God, they were still too blind to see. I read this story recently. It goes like this. A poor family was farming some land during the Depression. There was one son in this family, and his parents wanted the best for him. So they scrimped and saved so that they could send him to college. After he had been gone for a year or so, his parents, who loved him very much, wanted to see him again. Again, they saved, sold some things, and went to visit their son. They arrived on campus, poorly dressed in their farm clothes. Seeing their son with some other boys, the father ran over to him. Son, son, it's your father, he said. The son looked at his father without showing any sign of recognition. The father said again, son, it's your father and mother. We've, we've come to see you. The boy, perhaps embarrassed by his parents' poverty, turned to the other students and said, I do not know who this is. He must be crazy. Wow. How absurd, how horrible that you would have two parents scrimp and save to send their son, their only son, to college to live out his dream, to provide for him. And then when they come to see him, just to say, we love you and we miss you, he acts as if he doesn't know them but much worse, how about a creation that was made by God? And when God comes and lives among them, they look at him and go, we do not know you. We don't know you. You don't look like the Messiah. You're not our God. This is the rejection of the light How could his creation and his countrymen miss him? God in the flesh, standing in front of them. Maybe you have thought this to yourself. If I was there, I would have received him. But they were there and they rejected him because they were as dead and dry as the bones in the valley that we read of in Ezekiel 37. Let me remind you of it. God sends the prophet out into the valley of dry bones. In verse 4 of chapter 37, goes like this. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And there, where there are just dry bones, all of a sudden are physical beings with breath and livelihood. 
But the people who rejected Christ did not want flesh on their bones because they desired to remain in darkness. Hear me today ask this question, do you want flesh on your dry bones? Do you want to be made alive again? Are you sitting there in your seat today dead in your sin? Be made alive today in Christ. Do not reject the light. Trust the light. That is the command for you to repent, to go no further than that, but to repent of the deadness of your sin and trust in the light And the result is this, that those who reject the light will forever be in darkness. Will forever be in darkness. Do you hear that today, Christian? As witnesses, we're to go and share Christ with people because if they reject the light, they will forever be in darkness. As they are judged by God and thrown into the eternal lake of fire, there will be no end to the judgment. There will be no time out. There will be no break. Hey, you want some water? I'll dip my hand in some water and and give you a little water. There will be none of that. Time out. No, this is too severe, God. Stop it. There will be no stopping. This will be your reality for all of eternity, which is far longer than anything you've had here on this earth. This is no game. There's no time to wait. This is reality for those who reject the light. And you think maybe, maybe God will hear the cries of the people in the eternal lake of fire when they say, forgive us. We love you. We were mistaken. You're the light. We're not the light. Satan's not the light. No, we need you. But there will be none of that. Because after judgment, in a place where God will not have his grace upon a people, there will be no calling out to God. There will be no asking for forgiveness. There will be no, I'm sorry. Instead, it will be, God, you're sorry. I'm right. You're wrong. I will escape this. I do not deserve this. I'm better than this. Say, where's your confidence in that, Brian? Because without the grace of God, what's man's response? Hostility to God. That does not change in the eternal lake of fire. In fact, it only ramps up. You say, Brian, speak of grace. Do not speak of the wrath. How will you understand grace if you don't understand wrath? Every day, this reality is before us. Today, this reality is for us. You may be uncomfortable in your seat hearing this. And to that, praise God. And I don't say that as a jerk. I say that because I'm glad that this makes you uncomfortable. Because if you're uncomfortable, then recognize that your sin separates you from God. This huge chasm, you can never cross it. Trust in Jesus. Trust in the cross. But his own people did not receive him. In fact, this could be the placarded all over the first 12 chapters of this book. 
His own people did not receive him. His own people did not receive him. His own people did not receive him. But beginning in chapter 13 and going through 21, we might raise the banner yet to all who did receive him. Another way of describing these people is to say that they believed in his name. Finally, the reception of the light. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Many did see him, and many people see him today and believe in his name. Whose name? Jesus' name. And in John 20, 31, at the end, towards the end of this book, it's resounded again, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This right means authority, authority that he gives, a privilege that he gives that we would know him to become God's children presumably emphasizes divine authorization by God to become what no human effort could accomplish. And you're born. And he speaks of this. You're born not of blood, meaning your heritage, nor of the will of the flesh, your intellect, nor of the will of man, any accomplishment of your own, but of God. We'll see it in John chapter three. It means to be born again to be born again. Our only hope is in God. It must and can only be but of God. Crossing the boundary from the world's realm to God's realm is impossible only, or it's only made possible by divine agency. So one last word to the witness, and here it is. To you Christians in the room, Jesus came and most did not receive him, yet he remained. And I want to encourage you with some perseverance here that we see in Christ and that we can have in ourselves. Jesus came and most did not receive him, yet he remained. You say, I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be turned away. Christ, God in the flesh came among his creation and they rejected him. If anyone experienced rejection, it was Christ to the utmost to the cross. Yet he remained. He remained among the people until it was the will of the Father to go to the cross. He remained on the cross until it was finished. He remained in the grave until it was time to rise. And he remains at the Father's right hand until the Father says, go and receive my children. And then we will remain with him throughout all of eternity. So will you remain on this earth a faithful witness? Because in Christ, he showed a loyal subjection to the Father's will. He showed a wondrous love for sinners. And he showed no fear of rejection. Can we have this same spirit among us? Indeed, we can because we have the Holy Spirit guiding us. And in closing, for those of you who are in the darkness today, you're a sinner. You recognize that you're a sinner. You know that you're separated by God. We love you. We desire for you to follow Christ. Will you remember as we opened trying to bring those two wires of the zip line together and desperately just trying to make it work? And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's what you're trying to do right now. Or maybe you feel that there's really not a great chasm between you and God. 
God the light and you in darkness, but there's no way that you could ever bridge this gap. Only one, that is Jesus. He laid down his life so that you may come to the Father. Will you trust in Jesus today? Will you be safe today? Right where you are, will you recognize this and say, you're Lord? Look, make the good confession. You're the eternal light. Forgive me of my sin, you're the eternal light. Would you be safe today where you are? You are the eternal light. For those of you who are Christians in this room, would you do something for me in the next minute here? Would you just pray? Would you pray for those that do not know Christ that they indeed would see the eternal light? Would you pray for God's grace? Would you pray for a salvific grace? Would you pray for a great move of God among the people here? And also, would you pray for the people that are out in our community that do not know Christ? Will you go to them? Will you pray for them first? The eternal light. Are you grateful? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together today. We pray for those who are in darkness. Lead us to run to them and share the light of Christ Jesus. I pray today you would save many. All throughout this town, faithful preachers preaching the gospel. We would trust in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Sins forgiven, new life in Christ. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for the eternal light. May we walk in this light faithfully this week. For your glory, your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.